The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. You and the body of Christ here at Grace on the Ashley. And this morning we have the great privilege of having one of those men come and open God's Word and teach. And Josh Dickert is coming in just a moment. And Josh has uh, been serving as an elder, I don't even know for how long, it seems like forever now, Josh, but it's been a, a couple of years. Josh brings such a, a, a great uh, wisdom to our team. He's a quiet man who brings a quiet confidence. He doesn't say a lot of words, but when he says things, they have meaning, and, and people listen. And I listen, and our team listens. And Josh just brings a, a great addition to our, our staff elder team. And uh, he is a man who is faithful in God's Word, who loves the Word of God, who studies the Word of God regularly, and you get to hear some of the overflow of that this morning as he's prepared well uh, to come and to teach God's Word. So I want you, if you would, uh, to welcome Josh this morning as he comes. All right. Can, can you hear me? All right. Thank you, church, for allowing me to to come this morning and, and bring the word of the Lord to you. Uh, I apologize from the very beginning that uh, you have to hear me on the very last Sunday of the year. So you've gone all year this far without having to hear me. But um, uh, I pray that uh, our our time this morning this morning uh, will be fruitful uh, and that you'll be encouraged. Uh, and that the word of the Lord will, will pierce all of our hearts as it has mine as I've studied uh, this week. I told Meredith this morning, I don't have any jokes, so I apologize for that as well. Um, there's, there's one, so, okay. So our text this morning uh, will be from Galatians chapter 6. We'll be covering, hopefully, uh, verses 1 through 5, and I promise to get you out of here for lunch. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers and sisters, actually the original Greek implies brothers and sisters. But brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to, give, uh, have to bear his own load. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we again are grateful for this morning. We're grateful for your word, for your Holy Spirit, which opens and enlightens us to the truth and meaning of your word. So I pray that you would work through me. to expound on your word, to bring your truth to the church here this morning. In Christ we pray. Amen. So one of the the great privileges that I have as an elder, as a teacher, as a leader here at Grace on the Ashley, uh, well, I have many, but one of my favorites 
uh, is walking non-members through our what we call our Discover Grace class. And if you're newer, probably the last three years or so, you've been through this class. It's a requirement for membership. Uh, and actually, some of your, your members, we did this series on a Wednesday night about a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, so many of you have gone through this class. Well, in this class, what we do is we go through uh, different information like church history, how we got here as a church, um, church membership, what it is, why it's important. Um, we also go through our statement of faith, which is simply a, a summary of what the Bible teaches uh, on uh, what we believe. Um, it's our doctrine, a doctrinal statement. It's what makes up our DNA as Grace Only Ashley. And so knowing the, these things and studying these things, in some way, we're all theologians. We study the word of God. Uh, we hold fast to what the Bible teaches. But our class doesn't end there. It goes on. And my favorite class of my favorite thing that I do, one of the favorite things as an elder that I do, uh, is our church covenant. This is different than what we believe in our statement of faith. But I, uh, I have a, a copy of it here. And hopefully, if you're a member, you have a copy of this well uh, as well. Um, this is the document that every single member of Grace Only Ashley has signed and agreed to and maybe prayerfully pick this up at least once a year, maybe monthly, uh, maybe more regularly than that, and go through it and, and assess yourself how we're doing. We also recite this uh, covenant at every family meeting. So what is the big deal about this church covenant? Uh, well, this is where we put our theology that study that I just talked about, the beliefs that we have, this is where our theology gets put into practice. Um, it's what we believe, how it gets put into action. It's where the rubber meets the road, if you will. Where that knowledge that we pack our heads with, we're really good at packing our heads with knowledge. We're really good at that as a church. Um, but it flows out of us into our church, into our community, our neighborhoods. Uh, and as a corporate body of believers, uh, we've been given instructions in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, how to do life with one another. And in our covenant, we draw from Scripture to create these, what we call, uh, well, maybe we don't call them this, I call them this, uh, I agree statements. That's because every one of them starts with, I agree to something. Um, uh, for, an, for example, I agree to regularly attend and participate in the worship services of Grace Only Ashley. I, I agree to do all in my power to defend and uphold the unity of the membership of Grace Only Ashley, and so on and so on. It's an entire page full of I agree statements. Uh, now, I'll, I'll agree, or I'll be the first to admit that these statements that we have aren't, are not an exhaustive list of everything that we're required to do in Scripture. Uh, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. But the point is, is that as Christians, we're not simply called uh, to, to just pack our heads with knowledge, even though this is important. We're not singular Christians called to live our lives as individuals. Uh, but believers, as a believer, you have a job description. Uh, and this, uh, this, this job description is a high calling. There's many things that we're required to do uh, as a Christian. A lot of people believe that if you become a believer... Uh, your life is easy greasy the rest of the rest of your life, uh, and that's just not the case at all. Sometimes it's harder. And so, what this calling is is not a legalistic uh, list of things that we must do in order to be saved. That's done. Jesus paid it all already. It's simply a response to God's love for you. 
And so I pray that as we open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 this morning and meditate on it, uh, he's going to reveal to us uh, where we may be falling short in what we uh, are doing uh, or haven't been doing. Uh, but before we can even talk about Galatians chapter 6, I need to give you a little bit of a background of what's going on here. Um, this epistle is one of Paul's, uh, probably Paul's greatest defense of, of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. This is where, if you will, some commentators say Paul gets out his war paint and goes to town uh, on these uh, Judaizers. But Paul's letters generally follow a pattern. Uh, and if you haven't picked this up lately, not, not every, every le- one of Paul's letters or books uh, follow this pattern. But generally, Paul starts off by defending a particular doctrine. So it's a doctrinal defense. Uh, and we see that in Galatians chapters uh, 1 through 4. He's defending the, the, the doctrine of justification, justification by faith alone, uh, as opposed to the meritorious works of the law. But then when he gets to uh, uh, chapters 5 and 6, Paul gives us his famous therefore, right? So he says, you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, therefore do this. That is, this doctrine that is from God uh, that you've been given should draw you and should, you should just, it should flow out of you to do these things. Uh, One commentator, I love this. This is where we see the fruit of the Spirit put in shoe leather where it can hit the pavement of our hometown. Uh, And I I love that. Um, But here's what's been going on. Paul was writing to the Gentiles. Um, They were non-Jews who had come to faith in Jesus through his work. Um, And so Paul had since moved in and some Judaizers had moved uh, moved on and Judaizers, some Jewish teachers had moved in. Uh, And they, they, they told these Gentile believers... Um, They needed to do certain things. You know, their salvation is great. That's wonderful. You're saved. But you must also keep the Old Testament law. You must also do these specific things in order to be complete. Um, And this spiritual completeness that they preached uh, was completely against what Paul had taught them, completely against what scriptures uh, say. And so they consider themselves kind of these first-class citizens. If you will, they have this this spiritual superiority, this moral superiority that uh, that Paul uh, is addressing in in his letter. Uh, They're they're saying, in effect, that we keep these laws uh, and therefore we're more spiritual than you are. Um, They they acted as a type of first class Christians, if you will. And I hope in your head you're thinking that, you know, maybe I've been that way. Right. Maybe I know somebody that's been that way. Maybe um, uh, I pray, Lord, that I'm not that way. But what happens in, a, in an atmosphere like that in our church and in, in, in the church of Galatia, uh, that creates this what we call uh, this kind of this comparison, comparison, the snare to compare that uh, I've heard uh, many times before. Um, it's this atmosphere of where we just compare ourselves to others. Well, they're doing this and this and this, and I'm not doing those things. Um, Then they must be more spiritual than I am. Maybe I'm not a true believer because I'm not doing A, B, or C, or D. Um, And Paul's desire and concern is for their unity. uh, That they wouldn't bite and devour each other. That they were doing already back in uh, chapter 5. 
um, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so there's a disunity that's come from this comparison that uh, has drawn out of these Old Testament laws that the Judaizers are claiming that they have to do. Uh, And we run that risk in our day as well. But if you look back at verse, uh, first, uh, chapter 5, uh, first part of verse 13, it says this. As Paul's writing to the Galatians, he's setting this, this heresy straight. He's demolishing the lie that they've been taught. And the, one of the things that he says is that you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Again, that it, the, the, first, uh, the original Greek implies sisters. And so one central message of the book of Galatians is that Christ, we have been made 100% complete. Again, by the way, I didn't pick out those songs, but pretty much every single one of them goes with our text today. Uh, and that's the Lord that's done that work today. Um, but we've been made 100% acceptable in the eyes of God. Not because of any Old Testament laws that we've done, food laws or circumcision or anything like that. Or in our day, not because you read the Bible five times a day or at least once a day or preach the gospel to four, time, four people a week. We're not made complete and acceptable because of that. We're made complete and acceptable because of Christ's work on the cross. Specifically, his death on the cross where he took our sins upon himself uh, and he imputed, as a theological term for charge to our account, uh, his righteousness to us. There's nothing that we did to earn this. In fact, it happened um, before you were even born. So there's nothing you could have done. And so once we get that, that's the freedom that Paul is talking about here. The freedom in Christ that that frees us from any thought or way of thinking that requires us to do something in order to earn our salvation or a more acceptable standing before God. The church at Galatia was having this issue. They were being told they absolutely had to adhere uh, to uh, Old Testament law in order to to be accepted by God, like I said, by keeping circumcision or food loss. Um, And so that's the freedom Paul is talking about here. That freedom comes from the gospel. And the gospel does two things to us. First, the gospel builds us up, right? It takes a sinner dead in his trespasses. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians and reconciles us uh, with God. In a sense, God says, look at the cross. I love you so much that I sent my only son. I have done everything necessary through my son, Jesus Christ, uh, that's made you acceptable in my sight. Everything has been done. Look at the cross. And there's nothing that you could do, nothing that you can do or even would do to make that more complete. It's been done. So the gospel builds us up. But on the other hand, at the same time, uh, the gospel will tear us down. God also says, look at the cross. You are so sinful, even today, even after, if you've been a Christian for five years, for two years, for 30 years, for 60 years, you're so sinful even today, even after all of these years of being a Christian, that it took that, his son dying on the cross, to make you acceptable. And so when we've been built up and broken down like that, uh, it should take away your desire to be competing with others spiritually, right? Uh, and, and, and 
we should look around, look around the room and see others in the exact same boat that we're in. Um, We look around and see that others are struggling with sin just as we are. We look at others and realize, though, that they're just as forgiven as we are. And we look around and we see Jesus through his spirit still working in others just as he's still working in us. So instead of thinking like a bunch of rivals, Paul tells the uh, Galatians, and thinking how we can beat one another spiritually, we should think like a band of brothers and sisters. And thinking things like, how can I help you? So look at the second part of uh, verse 13 there. It says, we're called to freedom. But what? Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is one of those famous one another's in Scripture. And I didn't pick out the Scripture reading uh, either. Um, But that was perfect. Um, marks of a true Christian. Uh, these are one of those famous one another's in Scripture that we talk uh, that we'll talk about a little bit later. There are many of them. Um, the underlying issue here, though, is spiritual pride. And so, as we get to chapter six, uh, Paul tells us very practically what this looks like, how this plays out in the life of a, of a believer. How does a, how does Christian uh, freedom play out in our lives? What now? What do we do? Uh, how, how do we serve one another? How do we overcome the spiritual pride that we're all uh, susceptible to? And so Paul didn't randomly choose an area that, just to talk about here, uh, verse 1. Um, he didn't just randomly choose this area that, that, to call attention to. Uh, he purposefully uses the topic of sin because it's something that every single one of us in history uh, every person in history, not just every Christian in history, uh, struggles with. But we're going to see uh, that the, Paul doesn't aim his message at the one sinning. Uh, he's aiming his message at the one who should be restoring. Um, here we get the New Testament answer for what uh, happened back in Genesis, where the interchange between Cain and God. Remember that? Uh, where uh, Cain asks in response to God, asking, where is your brother Abel? Um, Cain responds with, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, as we see here, uh, that there should be a glaring answer in our minds. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, we are our brother's keeper. Uh, But pride, Paul knows, is the underlying root of all sin. This is why he just spent an entire five chapters uh, defending against it. And so Paul very simply and succinctly tells us how to fight it. Look at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. So the word Paul uses here uh, is from the Greek word paraptoma, meaning a falling aside or mishap. So transgression is a falling aside or mishap. It means to stumble here. Uh, it doesn't mean a grievous sin that somebody has fallen into, like fallen into, like adultery or anything like that. Uh, it means some awful blunder, if you would, um, or some s- small sin. We don't put sin on levels, but if you can picture, like you know, uh, s- some smaller sin um, that someone has fallen in, fallen into. And so, the first part of this verse 
quite literally says, if anyone is caught unawares in a serious mishap. Um, this isn't the greatest, the greatest picture uh, image in your head because we live in Charleston and we don't really have snow. Um, uh, but picture you're driving down a road and it's snowing and there's ice on the road and all of a sudden your car hits a patch of ice and it just goes out of control, right? You're going down the road and out of control. That's kind of the image that we get here uh, when, we're, when we're walking down our Christian life and we, we've slipped into some sin. Uh, um, and so Paul gives us this, this image Maybe it's a character trait that someone has. Um, for example, um, I believe it was Tim Keller that, that used the example of someone just, just is always snarky. Uh, someone um, just can't hold a job. It's something that you just can't uh, put your finger on, but it's some mishap that someone has gotten into. But it's also important to note uh, that Paul isn't giving believers a warrant to go around sniffing in other people's business. Uh, in hopes of finding out how they're struggling or how they're sinning. Uh, It's our human nature to want to do that, right? Uh, Now, the assumption is that these folks are already doing life with one another. They already know each other. They know each other spiritually. They know each other close. They're doing doing life with one another. Uh, They're communing with one another. They're not neglecting to meet with one another. Um, they're not just coming to church for two hours every or an hour and a half every Sunday and then going about their business and then coming back. They're living their lives with one another, which is how they know that this person has slipped uh, and uh, gotten off the path of righteousness. They're a part of a meaningful and close relationship that can only be possible because of their common bond in Christ. And so the second part of verse one gives us our protagonist of the story. You who are spiritual should restore him in a gentle uh, spirit of gentleness. So as I mentioned earlier, the person in this passage that is pointed to Paul's talking about here is not the one doing the sinning. It's the one uh, who should be doing the restoration. Specifically, Paul says, those who are spiritual. Well, what does that mean? Right. Are we talking about the elders of the church? Are we talking about some higher spiritual? Well, no, that would defeat the whole purpose of what Paul has been defending against this whole time. Um, And so Paul isn't talking about some first-class citizen here. Uh, He's simply talking about those believers who are presently walking in the Spirit. Uh, Chapter 5 tells us what this means. What what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, uh, chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh along with his passions and desires. Do you exhibit these things? Remember the theme that we talked about earlier. Even though you're a sinner, still today, even if you're a believer, you're still a sinner. Um, But as a believer, the Holy Spirit is working in you and making you more and more into the likeness of Christ. So ask yourself these questions. Am I walking in the spirit? Am I you who are spiritual? Do I see an overriding desire to please Jesus because of his love for me? Am I crucifying the desires and the passions of the flesh daily? Is there a progressive pattern of killing sin in my life? Have I recognized the spirit's sway in my life? Do I look at my life years ago uh, and see obviously the Holy Spirit has been working through me? And in me, 
um, this entire time. So if you can answer these questions positively, then it's safe to say you're walking in the spirit and you are the you who are spiritual. So it's not about being more spiritual than other people. It's is the spirit in you. You see. And so Paul's talking to you and me. And telling us that it is our duty to restore this person who has fallen into sin. Restore the one who has fallen. And it's interesting that the word Paul uses there for restore means to mend. More specifically, uh, it it can mean uh, to set a broken bone or to mend a net. And so the whole atmosphere of the word restore doesn't doesn't point to a, a punishment. It points to a cure. Uh, He's saying, in essence, a body part has been broken and we must mend it, set it back in place, not only for the good of the broken part, but for the body as a whole. Uh, But in what spirit should we do this? A spirit of gentleness, meekness. And so Paul has already been demonstrating this meekness and gentleness, although earlier I said he's put on his war paint he didn't do it in a, in a wrath, you know, a, a, in a way of wrath. He did it in gentleness, in a way of anguish. And if you, if you were to flip back, you don't have to. But chapter 4, verse 19, we see this, just black and white. He, he doesn't do it as an angry master, but as, rather as like an agonizing mother. He says in, in verse 19, chapter 4, My little children... For who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. Paul expresses surprise. So if you have children today, just picture it. How could you do this? I've told you over and over again, you know better. Why would you do this? That's the tone that that Paul has here. And so that moves us into verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Whereas just a second ago we had a specific example, uh, specific instruction. Here Paul is, is expounding on that and, and it's a general instruction uh, of the burden that was faced back in verse 1. Uh, we know that we have a heavenly, bur- uh, heavenly Father that bears our burdens and carries our burdens for us. We also know that we have a Christ Uh, that says to us back in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who are burdened and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Paul himself is no stranger to being burdened. Uh, There's many examples of this. I'll just give you two. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 4. For while we are in this tent, we groan and we are burdened. And then if you flip over to chapter 7, verse 5. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us. So here we see that God is comforting Paul. God is comforting the downcast. Bearing the burden of the downcast. But how does he do that? Well, we see here, the verse doesn't stop there. It goes on. The God who comforts the downcast and comforted us by Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. 
Paul is confessing that he is in conflict on the outside and on the inside. He says, God, I need your help. I need your comfort. And God says, here's Titus. And the chain reaction we see here is that Titus had been built up by the ministry of others too. Uh, Titus was involved in ministry. He then goes to Macedonia, and he's able to comfort Paul uh, and shoulder some of the weight of the burden he's experiencing. What a beautiful picture that is. So look around you right now. This is, a, this is a, not a homework. You're going to do it right now. Look around you. Look to your right. Look to your left. Look all around you. Look at those people. If they're believers... That also kept you awake. Uh, If they're believers, they are your brothers and sisters by the blood of Christ. And they have burdens, every single one of them. Whether it be different, you know, varying size, varying uh, weights, um, varying degrees, they have burdens nonetheless. And you, as a Christian, are called to help them. And this burden, uh, this helping them in their burdens will be a sacrifice to you. Paul is saying here that as we take on others' burdens, we're not just sitting back, you know, just kind of watching them and making sure they don't fall. They've already fallen, right? They're already in the middle of this burden. He's called us to take on some of that burden. So if somebody has a 100-pound weight, right, and they can't lift it, um, we go help lift that. We, We take on 50 pounds, and they take on 50 pounds. That's the, that's the picture here. It's called a sacrifice for a reason. You can't help somebody without some of that burden falling on you. Uh, just a paraphrase of a Jonathan Edwards quote. Uh, a lot of times when we say we can't help somebody, for example, I can't afford it. What we really mean to say is I can't afford it without burdening myself. And so this is this is. Uh, a lesson to us all uh, that as we bear one another's burdens, though, uh, that pride should be just be you know squashed. Um, and remember that as we bear one another's burdens, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. That is the law of love. Back in chapter five, uh, verse fourteen, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word: you shall love your neighbor. As yourself. Remember back in John chapter 13, uh, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And this is what's being reinforced here. Paul says uh, that when the body of Christ, those who love the Lord Jesus, start to look around and live in this way, uh, ministries are opened up and the body is built up. Not only that, but as we love one another as Christ has called us to, it shows the outside world, those who aren't believers, that we are his. Jesus goes on to say in the very next verse, By this, people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And who better to look at as an example of this law of love than Jesus himself, right? If you go back to Luke chapter 7, here we see a woman of the city, Noticing Jesus reclining at the table with a Pharisee. So she brings a flask of ointment. 
And she begins to wet his feet with her tears and rub his feet and kiss his feet with that ointment. Well, what does the Pharisee do? Oh, that's, that's wonderful, Jesus. No. He accuses Jesus. Jesus, if you're truly a prophet, you should know who this woman is and what she does. She's a sinner. Why are you letting her touch you? But Jesus' responses are in verses 41 through 47. But in that response, we see Jesus pointing out that he is exemplifying the law of love. She had a problem that Christ understood. And she needed someone to lean on. She needed forgiveness. And he gave it. Now, if you go over to John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. Uh, Again, I won't read this, this passage for time's sake today. But here again is a sinner, burdened. And Jesus perfectly exemplifies the law of love again. But again, Jesus sets that Pharisee straight, or those Pharisees in this case. They want to stone her. And what does he respond with? He simply responds with, let him who was without sin be among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And he kneels down, and one by one, you can see him just in your head just walking off. Um, and he stands back up, and he's alone with the woman this time. And he asks her, has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she says. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Bearing burdens is what love does. 1 Corinthians thirteen seven. love bears all things. Paul says, bear one another's burdens, and as you do... You will fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. This is a principle expounded on by Jesus and a practice exemplified by him as well. Now, verse 3. He's had his war paint on, but this is where Paul really brings out his big guns. The entire epistle of Galatians thus far has been a war on legalism. It's It's threatening the very foundation of their faith. Paul says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now, notice here, the verse doesn't simply say, for if anyone thinks he is something, he deceives himself. It clearly says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing. Going back to the issue at hand, Paul doesn't leave any room with this verse. He leaves no room for any kind of spiritual superiority. He shuts down any hopes of spiritual pride that we may be tempted to fall into. Now, this is directed at the Judaizers uh, who have infected the church with their pride. Uh, Those who despise the weak and refuse to carry others' burdens. Martin Luther said this, they are the proudest of all people. And Paul says they think themselves to be something. That is, they assume that they have the Holy Spirit. They understand all the mysteries of the scriptures, that they cannot go wrong. They've got it all down. They understand everything. Now, that quote is talking about this, uh, the Judaizers here, but how true could that be of us as well? Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. The self-deception here that we see uh, is the same self-deception that took Peter back in Matthew 26. Jesus is telling his disciples that they will all fall away that very night. And then Peter, uh, doing what Peter does, uh, 
he seems to place himself in a higher spiritual state than these other disciples. Uh, when he says this, he said, Lord, they may fall away, but I will never leave you. He seems to think that when Christ says all, it meant everybody except for him. Uh, so, in fact, Jesus responds, no, Peter. In fact, before the night is through, you'll deny me three times. You see, the pride that the Judaizers were ex- exhibiting, the pride that we see in the Pharisees, the pride that we saw there in Peter, and other examples throughout Scripture, is a reminder to us all that we're just as easily tempted to fall into that. Which is why he goes on in the second part of that uh, verse 1, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We're tempted to fall into the spiritual pride. We're tempted to fall into the sin if we're not watching ourselves. And be, be careful, Paul reminds us, that as you approach another's fault in order to restore them, then you must first examine yourself. What is your motivation? Is it spiritual pride? It shouldn't be, says Paul. As you realize who you are and your own sin, their sinful specks fail in comparison to your sinful logs. And that's the attitude you should have. Humbleness, gentleness, meekness. Patience. We are nothing without Christ. And if we're truly following the law of Christ, we would be really quick to say, Brother, you're infected by this vice, and I'm infected with another. And as the Holy Spirit works in us, we see ourselves in light of God. We see that without Christ, we are rebellious. We're strayed. We're enemies with no hope. But with Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit should be ever-present in our lives because it's, it's simply the outpouring of what's already taking place in us. Uh, it's a natural outpouring to what Christ has done in us. And it's not a legalistic thing that we kind of have to work for to earn anything additional. A natural response to others as we see them struggling and, and burdened and in sin in some cases uh, shouldn't be, oh, that, that poor soul. I'm, I'm so glad I don't have burdens like them. It should be, no. It should be, I need to help that person. Alistair Begg says this, our conduct toward other people is governed by our opinion of ourselves. But hear me now. If you don't hear anything else I say today, and I hope you do, but if you don't hear anything else or remember anything else, remember this. The best way to be something for others is to be everything for Christ. Way back in chapter 2, Paul tells us this. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Be everything for Christ, and then you can help others. And finally, in verses 4 and 5, 
But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. The way we protect ourselves from the sin of moral superiority is by testing ourselves. As we test ourselves, there should be an examination as individuals before God. Not a comparison with others before God, but an examination of ourselves as individuals before God. There's danger of false confidence if we compare ourselves to others. And this should lead to boasting. Right? Paul tells us we should, we should boast. But do we boast in ourselves? We boast in Christ. The kind of boasting that the Judaizers were doing, uh, where they would boast in their success of legalism, and then, like encouraging legalism, um, is the wrong kind of boasting. But if you go down to verse 14, which we really don't, we don't get that far today, but in verse 14, uh, Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now, the himself here notes that uh, it shouldn't be understood to, to exclude God. Whatever vocation, whatever state of life we're in, uh, whatever work we do, is a divine work because of the Holy Spirit working through us. So test, Paul says, your own actions. Make your prayer, the words of the 139th Psalm, search me, O God. Know my heart. Discern my thoughts. Now this relates to the load Paul is talking about back in verse 5. And in added the effort to destroy our pride, he reminds us of the judgment of God. The word Paul uses here for load or burden is different than the word, the, the word used earlier in reference to other people's burdens. This burden uh, refers to a soldier's pack, something that's assigned to us individually that only we can carry. Uh, it reminds us that as we examine ourselves, we should remember that each of us has our own load and that only we can carry it. And that each of us will be judged according to our own life, what we've done, not the merits of others. So listen, God has purposes for you. God has given you responsibilities. And it doesn't matter how other people take care of their load. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. This, you know, this load that we carry, sometimes we think of this load as easy. John Piper, I think, says, uh, it, you know, we think it's easy because it's greasy. Well, that's not the case at all. Um, it's easy because in my weakness, he is made strong. And a vital principle for us to understand is that on that final day, whether someone has done well or poorly with the load they've been given, it won't make it any easier or harder for us to get into heaven. As one commentator put it, it is the man who admits the fact that he has his own burden to carry who will be most ready to help others bear theirs. So we've each been given loads we can carry, loads that we must carry. But these loads, as I mentioned, are easy because of Christ. Back in, I've read this already, but Matthew chapter 11, um, Jesus tells this to us, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word burden here that Jesus uses uh, is the same word Paul uses in verse 5 that we just read. So if you're a believer today, examine your effectiveness in your work for Christ. But at the same time, rest in what Christ has already done for you. He has taken the burden of your sin onto himself on the cross. And our identity in Christ fundamentally expresses itself in the practice of this mutual love that we are, we're called to, 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 uh, to show one another. True acts of love uh, uh, act in the best interest of the other person, often at great sacrifice to ourselves. And so remember this as we kind of close out here. As we perform these acts of burden-bearing, these acts of kindness, love, assisting our neighbors, generosity, doing good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith, as verse 10 here would eventually tell us, we're to faint not, as the King James Version says. Uh, The vast number of duties the Christian is called to can become overwhelming. Uh, Even though they're just an outpouring of the love that our Christ has shown us, uh, they can get burdensome to ourselves, and they should be. Um, earlier, I mentioned the one another's. Um, in fact, there, there are actually 59 one another's in Scripture, <laughs> and that's just the one another's. That's not all the other commands that we're told to do, right? Like uh, Steve read in Romans chapter 12, there are just a few more things that we had to do, and on and on and on. That's just the one another's that we are to do to one another, 59 of them. It's wearisome. It's burdensome. It's man's natural tendency to become tired and discouraged in the work, which is why Paul does go on. He knows this. And in verse 9, he will tell us, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And if you are, are his, though, believer, you will endure to the end, because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, given the Spirit as a guarantee. And until then, you can find rest in Christ our Lord. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you're not here today, or if you're here today and you're not a believer, the greatest burden that you have, you'll face uh, for all eternity. You lack Christ. And so turn to him. Find that rest that you need, that we all desperately need. Um, I don't usually make New Year's resolutions, uh, because I never keep them. Um, Maybe I'm the only one. But here's a a good resolution for all of us to make and to keep this year. Make it your vocation to lighten people's burdens. Develop an acute skill of detecting others' uh, burdens, and then dedicate yourself to daily making them lighter. I pray that others would do that for me, as they have. And I pray uh, that we'll do that for others. And so may we follow our Lord's example and fulfill his law of love. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are grateful for the rest that we find only in you. For your love that you've shown us on the cross. 
thankful for the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to do all you've called us to. We're thankful for your word. We thank you that uh, only you could do that work in us. And that as we turn to you this morning, we pray that you will continue working in us and through us to lighten others' loads, to be that burden bearer that you've called us to, to show others the love of Christ. And in doing so, we fulfill your law. In Christ we pray. Amen.